there's Alice. What's up? Um, I didn't have any rants or anything, but uh, we are recording. I'm not getting stuff on, but goodness, the Northeast. Yeah, but it's like literally the second time, and it's January 20th. It's it comes long in, overdue. It comes like less frequent, but more intense. Than it, it used seems. to, you mean? Yeah, yeah. I would agree with that. But here in Connecticut, it's really a couple inches, and then it's just like ice and freezing rain, which is worse. Yes, yes it is. <laughs> it looked like um, I saw a couple pictures on Instagram this morning. People in like New York, central New York, or were in mm-hmm. that area got completely dumped on. Yeah, I think so. I think like, that was ma- worse. like a couple feet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we get... We were originally in like the 12 to 18 range, and then it just kind of slowly got chopped away. So we don't really have a lot of standing snow necessarily, but it's that ice. doesn't matter how much snow you have if it's all sheet of ice underneath. Yeah, it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, out here in Colorado for, I'm sure, I'm sure I'm forgetting, you know, you don't necessarily notice all the time, but we've had snow on the ground in, in, uh, you know, in the, not the foothills, the, uh. I guess the foothills. I'm not up in the mountains. I'm right on the edge of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but we've had snow on the ground for like a solid two weeks now, which... That's long for there. Yeah, it is. It feels good. It it, it needs to happen. Because, hmm. it, it, you know, the, the, the sun and everything and also climate change and all that, the ground stays so warm that usually a combination uh, of the, the ground being warm and the sun coming out a lot... Yeah. You know, snow doesn't, doesn't stick around doesn't a long time. Yeah. So it looks like it's finally gotten actually cold. Any plans to ski on it? Um, not this weekend, but uh, maybe. Skiing out here, it's weird. Like, it's like the mecca of one of the meccas of the world in terms of skiing, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But uh, the infrastructure is just not designed to cope with the amount of people. So getting to and from the mountain on any day that is like anything like a weekend or a holiday or whatever is just, right. it's a Madness. shit show. Yeah, it's a mess. So you have to take off work to go do it. And then yeah. it costs an insane amount of money. I mean, if you don't get um, one of the season passes or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, you're looking at like 150 per lift ticket. Uh, yeah, they've gotten pretty crazy. I mean... Yeah. You can pay that out here too, though. Some yep. of the more premier Northeast mountains, Vermont and stuff like that. So yeah, I, I, def, I definitely don't uh, ski as much as I used to, or we used to. But time and place for everything, I suppose. Mm-hmm. All right. I don't know if you had any other. I just figured we talk about the weather. People love talking about the weather, right? <laughs> yes. That's like small talk 101. It's um, like no, rain. I'm, I'm I'm good. Okay. I think we can we can jump in. All right, let me uh adjust some of my Should have done What that is before. that cliche? Why is that the words that people use? Let's jump right into it. <laughs> I have that my chair. Um, there's that YouTube guy uh Philip DeFranco. And he he always says let's jump right in or and he's got like a an affectation he puts on it and everything it's annoying so yeah i don't even like it when i say it so i yep. apologize to everybody <laughs> out there let's slowly crawl into this right and... <laughs> we could walk we could run 
anything um, other than jump. We could just transition audibly. <laughs> yeah, let's let's do that one. <laughs> Um, so I, this topic, uh, kind of got out of hand in a certain sense and maybe some of its cohesion isn't as good as some of my other ones, but, uh, I was looking into, or I was reading an article about the results of one of the four day work week experiments. So we had, Hmm. you had talked about, uh, the four day work week, gosh, a while back, 15, maybe episodes ago, something like that. Um, so I got thinking about, um, like other social experiments like that. Okay. And looking in and, and specifically hope, you know, looking for the results of it, mm-hmm. not necessarily going to go into um, all of it. So uh, we'll start with like maybe the, the, one of the more interesting ones, I guess, uh, universal income. You ever heard of that? Oh yeah. Uh, so quickly universal income is basically people, a population is given, um, a base level income, let's say thirty thousand U.S. dollars a year, or whatever it is, some mm-hmm. some flat line, you know, baseline income that is designed to get everybody up and out of the poverty line or above the poverty line. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's been tried a bunch of different times, but um, I developed some theories. It hasn't really worked yet. I guess is the spoiler, but. Um, and it's also obviously highly controversial. Definitely. People, uh, a lot yeah, of people. Definitely divided issue for sure. So one of the, I wanted to start with one of the uh, things is, or one of the, uh, what am I looking for here? The counters to it, one of the arguments against it mm-hmm. is that ultimately it could just make people lazy. Um, yeah, and that. that. The, you know, that the work, if, they're, if their basic needs are met, we don't know for sure and, and argue, you know, people on this side would say that now there's no reason to do any work or whatever. So productivity and all those things are going to drop. Um, we'll get more into that in a, in a general sense, but there was something I thought that was pretty interesting, a very singular example of that not being the case. Mm-hmm. Harper Lee was a single woman uh, living in New York City and um she supported herself by working part-time as an airline clerk, but was also write, a writer. Mm-hmm. She had written a bunch of stories and, and was had a good output while also working, but didn't, uh, didn't make it, if you will. Uh, late in the 50s, a friend gave her a year worth of wages and said, you have a year off, go write what you want to write. Hmm. That's that book that she ended up writing was To Kill a Mockingbird. Oh, shit. Really? Yep. Cool. Okay. So, obviously not at all. It was just an interesting anecdote. It's a singular case and all that. It doesn't speak to the larger. But um, right there, you've got a motivated person who's had their needs met, Mm -hmm. and they end up producing something great. Right. Yeah. Which might have not been produced otherwise if, if they couldn't work on it. Right. I didn't, right. you know, didn't have the time or whatever. So, um, I got a couple, di- so a couple different, uh, this has been tried a, a few different times by a few different countries. So in the U S we actually tried it in the sixties and seventies with four separate experiments, oh, okay. I guess. Okay. And they all took the form of a negative income tax. So 
if you were there's a there's going to be a monetary line if you're over the line you paid tax if you're yep. on the line you didn't pay any tax okay and if you're below the line you got paid uh on a yearly basis to but only if you're working i believe so yes okay it's not like just a straight up handout right okay. um and so, yeah, uh, 60s and 70s, they tried this. Um, they saw a reduction of work effort. And, and this is, I couldn't find, uh, you know, whenever I see statistics and whatnot, you, you want to know, like, what's really underneath them. Unfortunately, yeah. I wasn't able to get into that. But um, they're claiming they saw a reduction of work effort for 7% of, of 7%, excuse me. So mm-hmm. in general, men worked 7% less. And women worked 17% less. They did find that the money was not uh, one of the common arguments against this is that people will spend the money on drugs and alcohol and whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. That was not the case. Mm-hmm. They did find an increase in school attendance for the kids. Uh, but they did not see That's a general improvement of well-being or home ownership status. So people were not really progressing using that baseline to progress towards home ownership, which was one of the metrics they were trying to. I have a lot of, a lot of things here. Yeah. Come to mind. (laughs) (laughs) Um, How are you quantifying the reduction in work capacity or whatever? What is that metric? Let me see. You're saying 7% less than 17% less, but how so? Let me see. I'm pulling up my source here. Is it it because they're not doing their existing work to the same capacity could be a number of things maybe um that's kind of part of the point right (laughs) right right um i was gonna pull up my um and then what was that last figure that you just gave uh they they found that it was not squandered is the the term they were using uh oh well okay so you were saying people progressing towards home ownership yeah so why is that a meant why is that a bar that needs to be reached i think if i had to guess (laughs) this study maybe these people don't care about that right this study um in being in the 60s and 70s and i mean even today i have to guess that because they were tracking that metric they were probably interested in proving that universal basic income does equate to an increase in home ownership right because i mean if people aren't buying homes that doesn't help the economy and all that the economy right. and yeah, right so, so I, I have to that. imagine they had a they had a particular outcome they were hoping to find right so it's not necessarily in the people's best interest it's you got to look at who's conducting the study and what their interests are right the other issue with this particular group of, of studies was it was all one economist. And mm. without going too much into that, the whole profession of being an economist is uh, debatable. Um, it's like it's not even a real profession, you mean? You, it is a real profession, absolutely. But... No one, no one economist, in my opinion at least, can could ever has ever been able to say, or probably will ever be able to say, I know what's going on for sure. Gotcha. So it's too complicated. It's too complicated. There's too many unknowns. All kinds of stuff, which doesn't necessarily mean 
it's a, a wasted profession or anything like that. Uh, but but to take very... one guy's opinion or results of a study as as you know the the outcome and the only outcome is not yeah maybe a great idea. <laughs> um, they yeah. So being My, one economist, got... yeah. How long did they let the study run? A couple of years. Do you know how long it's taken me to actively want to buy a house? I'm not even there yet, let alone if I'm involved in some Good ridiculous point. study. Good point. That lasts um, five years. Like <laughs> Another one of the social experiments that we'll talk about, similar to basic income, but um, that point you just made will, will be evident. Um, there's some short-term results that make it look like, oh, it didn't really work. But then yeah. the 10, 15-year results are like, oh, wait. Yeah, okay. Um. So let's see. There's another version of it. Um, let's see if I'm looking to. So they did a, a longitudinal study, which is, um, you know, the long-term type stuff of 1,400 low-income children in rural North Carolina. And they were observing their um, mental condition. And there's basically, they just, there's a cash infusion into this community that was not at all. It was like an opportunistic moment. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't remember what it was, uh, but let's see if I got the link here. Um, so basically, just the the poverty line was being uh, rate, or people were being brought out of poverty at quite a quick rate, and not shockingly at all in that sense. They, they saw improvements across the board. Basically, more money meant better nutrition and mm-hmm. and all that sort of stuff. So that one mm-hmm. that one made perfect sense that it was um, that it helped, but right. it wasn't really a universal basic income experiment. It was more just like this community got a bunch of money and <laughs> somebody decided to watch what happened. So basically, Shock and awe, they bought better stuff. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um. Another area where they were in, at least America, where they were watching this sort of thing, um, in the Great Smoky Mountains, there was a uh, a band of or a group of Cherokee Indians, and they decided to watch uh, when the casino was built. The part of the terms of the casino being built was that twenty five percent, I believe. Uh, no, they didn't say. Sorry. So a certain percentage of the profits from the casino had to be distributed to the rest of the tribe in an even way. So another mm-hmm. example of a lot of cash really fast. And Is that again, something that the tribe set up themselves? That was their own? I think so, yeah. Yep. Okay. That's kind of cool. All right. And sure enough, shockingly, there. again, uh, definitely um, better mental health, lower hospital visits, better nutrition, all that sort of stuff was, was mm-hmm. noticed. Well, that's interesting, though, because, you know, that the way you're describing that doesn't sound like, I don't know what their economic situation was, but if it was just evenly distributed, that means you get a, you know, certain people that don't have a lot of money getting the same amount of handout as people with a lot, people with a higher amount of money. So that might, which is in in an actual proposed system, proposed system today, I assume it would be. You know, dependent on a lot of factors, including your income and situation, right? Well, that's one version of it. Yeah. You know, like 
one of the ideas is let's say everybody gets 50 grand a year that's that's totally enough to not work at all but if you want to go work and make 150 sure you know you're still going to have income equality Mm -hmm. um but everybody's baseline is going to be the same right okay however if if everybody makes fifty thousand dollars are prices of bread and milk gonna eventually level up to sort of become in line with the fact that everybody has 50 grand and then if the people that are then making 150 grand basically the 50 grand becomes zero at a certain point that's what i was thinking converging to zero basically but the new zero is 50 right (laughs) yeah so that's one of the other things and and i wasn't able to find i don't think anybody has done it long enough to know that outcome whether or not Mm. I, i couldn't find an example where anybody was able to to finish that out so in 1974 and 79, Canada, not shockingly, also tried this. Hmm. Um, so they, um, I'll, I'll skip over the specifics of theirs, but one of the, uh, they noticed a significant reduction in hospital visits, especially around mental health issues. Uh, so people are less anxious and freaking out about, you know, getting their basic needs met. Yeah, it takes sure. a lot of stress away. Mm-hmm. And especially in a place like Canada, you know, you might wonder where is that 50 grand going to come from, right? Mm-hmm. Well, if people are going to the hospital less, if they're not taking out maybe food stamps, basically the 50 grand universal basic income as a welfare package means you can end other welfare types. So okay. if you have yeah, that makes sense. Right? Less people going to hospital means your hospitals are not as taxed and, you know, insurance isn't as much as a thing and all that. So that's one of the arguments for this that, whole system. That right there though, I was starting to think who's if there's benefits, that means there's gonna be people who are against it and insurance companies. Yep. Based on this example <laughs> is what came to mind. Yep. And Definitely. a little thing called lobbying. Yeah. That would prevent all this from happening. <laughs> uh, so those were in 1974-1979. In January 2017 in Finland, they're doing, it's still ongoing. They're doing a three-year pilot uh, okay. to see what happens. Uh, 2,000 participants between ages 25 and 58, mm-hmm. and they're entitled to an unconditional income of 560 dollars, uh, euros per month. Regardless okay. of whether they have a paid job or not. Damn, how did you get selected to be part right. of that? Can you imagine? <laughs> um, and when did they start? January 1st, 2017. So we okay. are... In the third year? Yeah. Uh, wait, yes. Yeah, they yep. did 17, they did 18, now they're going on now 19. they're doing 19, yeah. Um, so it's supposed to test whether or not the implementation of the, you know, the basic income helps reduce issues caused by, um, well, they say automation, long-term unemployment, lower wages, you know, all the things you might, uh, might try to basically poverty. I don't know what, mm-hmm. what they're getting at with automation there, but, um, mm-hmm. so let's see. Do I have any more notes on that? Um, Is automation like doing the same thing day in, day out? That must be what they're referring to there. I didn't, I didn't read into that one too much. Um, 
And again, one of the things that they're interested with this one is looking at the reduction of like bureaucratic costs. So with people not having to do without you're simplifying the system by just here's 560 bucks a month. Don't come to me for these other things, basically. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So um, the results of the study will come in uh, 2020. But uh, so that one's cool. We'll have to, Mm -hmm. if we're still doing this podcast by then, we'll have to uh, plan to be at least. Yeah, we could do an update on that. Yeah, that'd be cool. Um, So that one to me seemed uh, be very interesting to see what happens with that one. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the things that I've noticed. I think something. Something worth thinking about is that just because it works in one place doesn't necessarily mean it's going to work somewhere else. Yeah. So there's a lot of other societal factors that are going to, you know, there's be a intertwined and come into play. So. There's a ton. One of them that will come into play again for the four-day work week uh, results. That was episode 13, by the way. Oh, nice. I checked. <laughs> <laughs> 20 episodes ago. This is, yeah. or 21. Mm-hmm. Um, so... The four-day workweek article, like I said, uh, made me think about more of this. But you, you almost have to do this for everyone all at once because you're instantly jealous of the dude that's getting 560 euros per month. Mm-hmm. I just don't think you're ever going to get the actual results of or the actual true effects of the program unless you do it for everyone. Right, because it's not like those people that are doing that three-year study are in like a vacuum where they're cut right. off from, yeah. So the 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 normal world still exists around them. So ultimately, the experiment is still being influenced by mm-hmm. factors that you can't you know can't really control. Definitely, definitely. So that one to me, it kind of puts a a damper on all of this because you're never really going to figure that. it out. Yeah, and with the three-year thing, let's say that if, you know, I got a universal income and my I, my goal was to quit my job and pursue other passions, if I know that I only have a three-year limit on this study, I'm not going to quit my job. No, in fact, I'm going to start banking that money and like... I'm just going to bank the money and, and sit on it. Yeah. So it's not really realistic to how somebody might utilize that income, you know, if, right. if it was actually permanent right you don't have to do like 10 years all right let's run a study i'll give you 500 dollars a month you give me 500 <laughs> until i guess one, we run until one of us is dead and That's then not sustainable <laughs> <laughs> and then write it down in the science <sighs> yep so, yeah, that's just a little bit on universal basic income. Like I said, it's been tried a bunch of times. It's been tried in other countries, parts of Africa as well. Um, mm-hmm. And what I kept finding was that, especially in the really poor areas, mm-hmm. the whole thing about not doing it for everyone seemed to be a huge factor because it mm-hmm. didn't pan out. It never panned out. Um, I keep and- coming back to the, the idea of, 50,000 for example or whatever it is becoming the the new zero that's a big one just to me too. everything going way up because of that right so i mean that's that's just a matter of supply and demand if all of a sudden you have more people that are capable of purchasing 
bread or whatever it is, then the price is going to go up, right? So moderate, I would think so. Demand. I am a believer, or I, I tend to believe that um, it I, I, that getting that income, assuming all else continued to work, it, you would get a higher output from people. I think you'd uh, human because one of the arguments is that basically humanity's advancement would slow mm-hmm. because you're removing competition um, and people. You but know, you're not really right. Right. The people who are seeking to own, you know, have fifty billion dollars aren't just going to be like, "Oh, I got fifty thousand. All right, <laughs> sweet." <laughs> right, and I, I mean, would say... maybe, maybe you know, the thing is though is, starting from day zero, somebody's life path could be completely redirected, just like you were talking about with that small scale example with the book. You know, somebody's. Somebody who might have gone on to make $50 billion now decided to take a different, totally different path. But that's Same not could be said for the other side. Or, because yeah, absolutely. if you have a random group of 100 people and there's five geniuses in there and normal economic, economic conditions mean that four of those geniuses are, are hampered and, and don't realize their potential, with universal basic income, you could believe that now all five of them have a chance to contribute because they're not struggling definitely i mean think about like just going on the internet and how many freaking smart people there are in the world that are just seemingly regular people because they're doing regular shit but yeah in reality they're actually super fucking smart dude you ever think to yourself not to sound too arrogant but you're like yeah i feel like i'm fairly intelligent and then you go on the internet and you're like oh wait no no i'm not, <laughs> I'm not at all <laughs> <laughs> it's it's uh, actually kind of an issue you, can, you go on there and you're just like oh wait laughter. i'm a dumbass yeah this is nervous laughter <laughs> <laughs> oh it's crazy how many but yeah there are some i mean yeah. just because somebody's smart and in the headlines doesn't mean there aren't other really smart people so yeah those those things could be yeah better realized if they're not worried about keeping the heat on all right so let's move on to some of the four-day work week results um a firm called perpetual guardian in new zealand which is like uh, they handle trusts and wills and estate management um, i like that name a lot yeah perpetual guardian right it's nice mm-hmm. they reduced uh their f- they did it actually reducing the day so they went from five days eight hours to four mm-hmm. days for eight hours um, oh, just straight up knock a day off. Knock a day off, right. Okay. They did that for two months in 2018, and, mm. quote, experiment was so successful they planned to make it permanent. Okay. Successful how? <laughs> they tracked a 24% improvement of work-life balance, although I don't actually know what they meant by that. This was a New York Times article I was reading, um, and I couldn't. they didn't give me a source for the, the percentage. Um, mm-hmm. Supervisors said staff were more creative, their attendance was better, they were on time, didn't leave early or take long breaks, their actual job performance didn't change in the sense that it didn't decrease, right? It, it, the, the lack of an additional eight hours of work, if anything, productivity went up rather than mm-hmm. staying the same. Interesting. Um, 
they reported a strong change in people. This is, I, I have an issue with this, but uh, anyway. Um, <laughs> Uh, working smarter, not harder. There's a whole big culture around that and a big push for that. One of the things they quoted about this company, though, that I, what's going on at this company, meetings were reduced from two hours to 30 minutes. Who the hell is having regular two-hour meetings? Yeah, I don't know. Do, do you? I they don't do that. It must not be important enough if you can just be like, all right, let's make this a quarter of the length. Right, right. Do you, I, so in, in my yeah. work world, if I can, the faster we can be done, let's do it. Yeah, if you start out and if you say to yourself, can this be done in 30 minutes? If not, then, okay, you better be ready to, you know, explain why it needs an hour. <laughs> right, right. So that was my first thought on reading that line was who the hell has yeah. regular two-hour meetings, but... Um, so my, um, what comes to my mind about this one, you said they did it for two months? They did it for two months, yep. And their productivity could have potentially even gone up. At least yes. stayed the same, could have gone up. Yep. So... Just like converging to fifty thousand being the yep. new yep. the new zero, when you change something like that so drastically in in a two month period, people are going to be, first of all, trying to accomplish the same amount of work in less time. Yeah. Thus, it's going to appear that their productivity goes up. But as as the four day thing becomes commonplace they're going to adjust to how much work they can realistically get done in four days as opposed to five. And I would imagine you're going to see, if you were to plot productivity, whatever your metric is for this, over, let's say, five years, it's you're going to see down. that spike at two months, but then it's going to actually potentially go down, I would think, I, it, as that I, becomes the norm. Right. When does Exactly. When does the new normal come into effect? Um, yeah, because think about it. You, you know... You take a new job or you get excited about something at work or whatever you 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 have like a spike in you know drive and and motivation to get something done but then you probably are going to come back down to a you know more of a level or sustainable yeah. state a medium yeah. yeah so i think you're just you're knocking people out of that by doing a two month study again with the whole not doing it so this company they did it for their entire company so that mm-hmm. seems to be a key part yeah, of the success helps um but other companies didn't right in new zealand mm-hmm. so jumping over to france france in 2000 uh reduced mandated that the work week go from 40 to 35 hours like at mm-hmm. the government yeah, level we're talking about that mm-hmm. um over time because the rest of the world didn't change around them uh through additional laws and loopholes and whatever most people are working 40 hours even though it's technically against the law right so that one didn't work in uh, there's a swedish uh, version of this i'm not even going to try to pronounce the name of the company um it's got a way too many letters next to each other that shouldn't be next to each other Um, (laughs) i can't handle this they uh rather than doing uh cutting a day off they did from eight hours to six hours a day so still five days of working time uh but they didn't do for the whole company and the experiment was a failure part mostly because of resentment yeah no shit (laughs) shocker um Oh, it's cool. You you have a great three day weekend again. I'll be here Friday (laughs) all day. Email me with your issues if you got any. Yeah. Um, Like fuck no. 
they 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 did notice a, a reduction in absenteeism and uh, certain improved productivity in certain spaces and whatnot. But I don't think the experiment went long enough, and again, it ultimately um, it, they they stopped the program. I think but, what we need to do as a whole is rather than looking at it as can we slash the amount of work time and get the same amount of work done? Why don't we take a step back and say, is this the amount of work that we want to be getting done as people? Right. Or should we maybe take a yep. little more time to just chill Enjoy. out yep. and be okay with that? And if you're not okay with it as a whole, then we keep doing what we're doing or make those fine adjustments. But I agree. Um, and that's a good segue, I guess, uh, in the sense that they, they, one of the reasons they ended this program again is because others around them weren't doing it. And they're just fears of like, we're going to, as a country, we're going to lose out in the competitive market, you know, in the, in the yeah. world economy, we're going to suffer because mm-hmm. we have chosen to reduce the amount of work we're doing. Yeah. I mean, that would be a very existential thing for humanity to do as a whole, because it's in our nature to compete. compete. Yep. So that's how this all happened. Right. Right. It's not like anybody sat down and said, we're going to produce more than every other country, or, or maybe they did. But, you know, that that's an inherent human behavior. So here's a super weird one to uh, end the four-week, or bring it too close. In Sweden, there is a Toyota plant that had been doing it for 13 years, the six-hour day. Hmm. And they ended up ending it. Oh, that's it. surprising. Because citing citing high costs and citing high costs and resentment from workers not allowed to do six hours. Hmm. So, on the one hand, oh, they did like a they only certain people in the plant were doing that, right? So this was an even weirder one because they gave it plenty of time, Mm -hmm. but from my our perspective, it sounds like did it wrong. Mm -hmm. So that's unfortunate involved all the executives and (laughs) yeah Yeah, they're the only ones doing six hours a day no shit it didn't work out we're gonna do a new study (laughs) but people in this room it does beg the question though you know how much in like those two-hour meetings like how much inefficiency is there to begin with a ton a ton uh yeah nobody It'd be interesting to somehow know the percentage of people that work in, you know, a standard 40-hour work week, what percentage, I'm sure there's estimates out there, but, you know, what's the productivity percentage of that? My, in looking into this, a couple different sources and and whatnot, somewhere between three to four hours of of good productivity per day. Yeah, that sounds right. That really does sound right. So out of the eight, you're lucky you know, a company's lucky if they're getting 50% out of their workers, basically. Right. Because, let's be real, nobody can, you can't be on for eight hours straight. You just can't. No, no. Uh, and then, sort of one of my other thoughts on this. Um, Unless you're a surgeon. Yeah. Even then, <laughs> even they do, uh, you know, they, they tag in but and out. they way longer than that. Yeah. That's true, but they'll be in that that room though. True. Like true. if you're depending on the surgery, a surgeon might be standing over that patient for like twenty four hours. Yeah, dude, those guys are badass. Those guys so, and girls are badass. Yeah, let's remove them from that that last statement we made. Yeah. <laughs> um. Sort of going back to that whole converging on zero thing. If you did this long enough, how long would it take for wages basically to reflect that you're only doing thirty hours? 
let's say you got a $5,000 raise every year, mm-hmm. you know, at a certain point they're going to say, okay, well, we're only going to give you a $2,500 raise. Mm-hmm. So are you, you know, is there a point where wages ultimately reflect 32 hours as well? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's tricky because, you know, it's a lot of people who are more than 40 hours, not because yeah, plenty. they're contractually, you know, obligated to, but just because they've got to do the job, right? So, right. um, just because certain people at the company all of a sudden get it knocked down doesn't mean people working a bunch of extra time to get stuff done can just not do it. Um, and so the pay might end up getting separated at that point. Right. Um, some other interesting benefits, especially if you do the whole chop a day off thing. Um, this I think would be really great. Uh, less the just less lights are on on Friday if Friday's the day. Less mm-hmm. lights are on on Friday and less cars are on the road. Yep. So that that in itself might be worth just those two things right there. Yeah, and that's a good point. The energy saved. That way. Yeah, the yeah. energy saved on Friday with people not going to work. That alone. Can mm-hmm. I make a side note on that? Actually, yeah. <laughs> of course. Something that really bothers me is when businesses or any building sees the need when it's shut down to leave just an excess amount of lights on you know like why that same sentiment i think as a planet we've got to talk to each other about that because i agree with you there's so there's probably so many parking lots that don't need fucking lights Mm -hmm. and there's so many lights that probably don't need to be on when I was in school in South Carolina and I would be leaving or, you know, drive by in the middle of the night, whatever it was, just the place at two in the morning lit up like crazy. Giant Clemson sign lit up, all the lights in the building are on, and there's what, three people inside? Yeah. Yeah, that stuff. all lit up, like all this stuff, and it's we, just, it just yeah. doesn't make sense. It doesn't. It really doesn't. All right, so that's the four-day work week results. <laughs> Ultimately, it seems like it seems like it's got it's got potential, but for all you know, for a lot of different reasons, it's, it's a lot of things to think. To yeah, it's hard to tell. Think about. Yeah. Um, all right, let me try to move a little quicker here. I just looked at our timestamp. <laughs> um, so this this other major one that I, I researched. Um, this is back to America. Um, and it was the, oh shit, did I not grab a date? Oh, fuck. It was... Is it recent? No, because in 2015, the 50, okay, it must have been late 90s. Mm-hmm. Uh, because in 2015, the, the long-term results, the 15-year results came out. So anyway, uh, they took 600, 6,000... 969 low-income families with children living in high-poverty public housing projects, and mm-hmm. they split them into three groups. One group got housing vouchers that could be used in low-poverty areas for the first year, as well as counseling to help them find housing that met the need. Then after a year, they could take those vouchers vouchers and move anywhere. Kind of a weird mm-hmm. group. One group received vouchers, the second group received vouchers that could be used anywhere, but they didn't get any counseling as far as helping them find a place to live. And then the Mm -hmm. third group is the control group. They did not receive 
vouchers, but remains eligible for any other government assistance that they would have otherwise been uh, entitled to. And a vast majority of the families were headed by African-American or Hispanic single mothers. And Mm -hmm. the cities were Baltimore, Boston, Chicago, L.A., and New York City. Hmm. So this was that example. At first, the... uh, the five-year and even some of the 10-year results didn't make it look like it really did much. But the 15-year and the 20-year results, whatever it was, um, the that's when you really saw the impacts for the children. So the, the groups that were able to get more housing and all that sort of thing, mm-hmm. not very surprising, I suppose. The kids had higher college acceptance rates, all that sort of stuff. Sure. Um, Makes sense. The burden on the state was less, you know, they less, the, those families were going to the government for less things. Um, so this is, in a way, another form of universal basic income taken in the form of housing, arguably one of the, the more important ways to spend your money, I guess. Um, but yeah, I thought it was interesting that um, the, the first set of results, they were like, eh, didn't really... Didn't really do much. We saw a couple couple gains here and there, but those could have just been, you know, margins of error and all that sort of thing. And it wasn't until sure. 2015 yeah. that um, it was quite quite a strong uh, positive gain. Mm-hmm. So that is interesting. Yeah. So you got to give it time. Yeah. But you know, it's only uh, um, small group of people. You know, the whole. It, Ultimately, again, even with this one still, it's, it doesn't, I think it's kind of useless in a certain sense because, of course, when you gave housing to someone, their life improved, which is great. But, <laughs> yeah, but and that's a very good thing. But ultimately, it was mm-hmm. only 7,000 people and, or 7,000 families. And, mm-hmm. you know, they, you chose them to raise them up out of the poverty line, but you didn't do it for everybody. So, hmm. yeah. Right. And you couldn't really. You can't, you couldn't. I don't mm-hmm. think. All right. So those are the three major ones that I prepared. However, the last thing I'll... I'll uh, I, I was looking at... Uh, there's all kinds of other experiments. Maybe we'll do some of this stuff the other day in terms of like social style experiments. There's the famous mm-hmm. uh, Stanford prison experiment. Um, there's a whole bunch of I stuff. And, I'm not familiar with that one. Oh, that one was... Well, I could talk about that one real fast. Um, okay. Not quite a, a societal experiment, like what I was sort mm-hmm. of focusing on, you know, society-wide. But it did speak to um, a lot of things. Uh, it was a... So in Stanford was is a college uh, school, right? And they... Mm-hmm. A psychology-specifically uh, oriented place. And they did a lot of famous experiments. But this Stanford experiment, they got... Uh, I think it was 24 or 30 people, something like that. And they split them up into guards and inmates in this experiment, random people, uh, they're being paid to do this. And then the runner of the experiment ultimately was self-indulgent and made himself the warden of this fake prison. And the short of it is that within the experiment had to be ended after six days because a good number of the guards, normal people, not, you know, whatever became sadistic, uh, right away, basically. And mm-hmm. we're making the these fake inmates sleep in their own feces and 
stand for hours on end and and torturing them. And this took six days to um, fall apart. And the guy, the runner of the experiment, was so caught up in it himself that one of his interns had to tell him, this is getting out of hand. Whoa. So that's another day we can go into it. But it was it was quite the statement on human, uh, the human the condition. Yeah. Man. Yeah. Right. Uh, so the last thing I want yeah, to talk. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so the last thing I want to talk about. I was listening to this podcast the other day, um, behind the bastards. Okay. If, if, you, heard of it. if you don't listen to this one, uh, he's getting a free plug here. So Robert Evans, if you're listening sponsor our show um that's a joke because he always says that uh, to other people um okay so behind the bastards is this podcast where he takes people like rob uh, r kelly uh in this case the one i'm going to reference mark zuckerberg and tells you how they suck and it's great <laughs> how they suck yeah it's a great show um <laughs> so he was doing mark zuckerberg and he had to split it up into so three parts each of them an hour there's so much stuff to talk about with Mark Zuckerberg. Um, but the last societal experiment I figured we could talk about is Facebook. Um, and specifically... Yeah, that's a big one. Yeah, specifically um, the information uh, and what it does to people. So Facebook's algorithm is specifically designed to bubble up controversial news because people mm-hmm. that are angry or sad or whatever are more likely to write a response and therefore they're spending more time on the platform and can be exposed to more ads. So it's in Facebook's best interest to disseminate controversial or sad or anger-filled news. Mm-hmm. And that then that begs the question are, you know, does that have an impact on people? Uh, and this podcast, this guy was talking about this company came to Facebook and said, we want to study it and we want to find out. And Facebook was like, all right, sweet. So Facebook for a particular group of people turned it up even more. The sadness, the controversialness, all of that. And sure mm-hmm. enough, they were able to show that um, the, the amount of responses increased. Mm-hmm. And ultimately you could reasonably say that people got more sad or more angry the more that type of news they're exposed to oh man and facebook was willing to do this experiment and also charged the people for it so they made money off of this experiment too oh what how can that That this this podcast the guy uh robert evans i believe is his name um starts off he's done a lot of behind the bastards he starts off by saying mark zuckerberg might be the worst person he's ever looked into Oh, geez. Yeah. One of the ways yeah, this was okay. weaponized was, uh, I don't know if you not know about the, the Myanmar situation, the genocide over there. Um, um, no, not really. The country, uh, Burma would be the other name of it. Um, mm-hmm. Basically, the government was able to... So Facebook um, did this program where they gave cell phones or internet capable devices to impoverished nations the deal being with free data the deal being you only get that free data if you're accessing whatever you're getting via the facebook app right 
So all stuff is driven through Facebook. So the government of Myanmar started um, seeding articles and misinformation about a group of people in this country that they wanted to get rid of and were able to um, drum up and generate public support for a genocide, basically, using Facebook. What the fuck? And Mark Zuckerberg made money off of this. It's insane, dude. It's insane. So we we can we don't have to go too much, dude. It's crazy. I'm just staring at the wall, thinking about this, dude. So maybe we we can end end my topic there for now in in the larger sense because it's quite dark. But that almost deserves its own episode, and and I don't actually point people really go. You know, when did this happen? Uh, 2016. What the hell? Go listen to this podcast. You know, uh, we're not sponsored or, or whatever um, by them or anything. We're not affiliated with them or anything. But just it's go listen to this behind the bastards on Mark Zuckerberg. You will, you will not be pleased. I guess <laughs> you'll. It, it's great. It's a great thing to listen to, and it's it's good information. It's and certainly, like the R. Plug. The R. Kelly. The R. Kelly episode was amazing too. But this uh, this Facebook one is. You got you got to hear it. People need to hear yeah, it, in my I'm opinion. To that. Because um, did you delete your Facebook already? I didn't delete my Facebook, but I've never been a heavy user of it. So yeah. you know, he doesn't have a lot of information on me. But um, my account, there is a Russian Brian Isaac. Uh, if you go mm-hmm. to Facebook and you type in my name, there's going to be me, and there's a another one spelled exactly the same claims to be living in new york and from they started early to uh, the russians i think it's starting 2013 just constant anti-hillary clinton posts that's all the account does constant really? anti yep and then after the election the end of 2016 account is dead oh dude what the fuck you're right are you looking oh, at it right now God. people this is real yep i'm not kidding Brian Isaac updated his profile picture on August 9, 2016. It's a picture of, I think that's Reagan, maybe? Yeah. If we lose freedom... Wait, what's it say? If we lose freedom here, there is no place to escape to. This is the last stand on Earth, Ronald Reagan. He warned us. Brian, I didn't know you were so passionate. <laughs> oh, here's a here's an image of Hillary behind bars. Mm-hmm. So it's so wait 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 hang on hang on a second this one's great actually this is hilarious it's it's a picture of her like in an orange jumpsuit suit with her arms up behind bars and it says share if this is how to make America great again but behind the bars with her are, are a bunch of computers and servers <laughs> <laughs> they're gonna give her her computer and all that stuff so she she's gotta be able to work back there well I think they're also so, referencing so... the whole server scandal. They are, they are, but it's just funny that they put that in the jail cell yeah. with her. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, you notice... Dude, this is crazy. August 9th, 2016 is the last thing this profile ever did. Because that's when it stopped being needed, and all it is is anti-Hillary stuff. And it's... So, we know now Wait. that... And I'll, well, I'll go listen to the podcast from, that I mentioned for more on this, but um, we know now that Facebook gave whether or not they meant to or just allowed it to happen or whatever but we know that yeah. facebook gave user data to russia and here is an extremely personal example of how that turned out 
What the fuck? Should I see if they accept my friend request? I have toyed with that for a long time. I don't know. I have not. You know what's really creepy? Is in the intro it says, Hello, I am an Xbox gamer. Yep. My Xbox Live gamer tag is. So if you were to take my Facebook info, you'd know that I'm a, a white guy. It's relatively young. Yeah. That I like video games. Uh, you know, it's so. I don't like big purple trucks like this guy does, but you can scroll down to june 18th 2016 yeah look they try to like throw in video game related pictures right. in here too and they're trying to make they... it look legit that's so fucking... it's so it's so right, spooky on. before we move on i'm just gonna search my name while i'm here <laughs> yeah it's so spooky and again uh, like i said I'm, I'm scrolling down this account they started doing this like this is the weird part they started posting. I'm scrolling down. I'm scrolling down. I'm looking at 2014. Yeah, 2014, it looks like, are the oldest posts I can see. Yeah. But what's mm-hmm. weird, too, is like, it's like very big spurts of activity, like tons of stuff on July 17th and then nothing. Mm-hmm. And then tons of stuff a month later or whatever. I'm not seeing my uh, Russian counterpart on here. Yeah. Doesn't mean it doesn't exist, but it's not as immediate as when you search you yeah literally you and the other one show up that's it's really weird it's disturbing so okay so, <laughs> societal <laughs> experiments there you go jesus christ a little disjointed one right now but um whoops hang on okay so the way i'm gonna make this connection if we did do a four-day work week or even one of the universal incomes or whatever people could have more time to spend at home with their pets Mm. so my topic of pets is kind of a spin-off of my own topic from last week um, because they were spawned together last week we covered the animal symbiotic relationship so kind of with animals in each other's but i also wanted to know why the hell do we keep animals in our houses for no seemingly no reason yeah fair right i mean mean, think about it i can think of a couple yeah well at its core i mean there's there's one way to look at animals and people together as like a productivity thing but you're literally bringing this creature into your house that you can't talk to you you develop this bond and relationship with this animal that you've never spoken words to for literally no financial or productivity advantage ultimately it's a burden right in that sense because you're paying for the food and all that (laughs) it's a financial burden it's a makes you you know you have to tend to it i have to i have to guess it's just it's going to be a combination of like human desire to care for things and Mm -hmm. the the intangible benefits that we get from it like Mm -hmm. happiness and whatever Mm mm-hmm uh-huh. Yeah, so I just kind of wanted to know like where this came from and when it started and and some stuff around that. So don't feel bad that yours felt a little disjointed to you because this one feels a little disjointed to me. Um, but yeah, so some just some questions that I wanted to, to answer by looking this up. Um, you know, like I said, when did people start bringing animals into their houses? And then I'd imagine that it was kind of a rocky start. Yeah. Like you don't just you don't just bring a wild animal into your house and it just goes smoothly the first time. So there's probably some 
you know, and there's thinking no hard about like there, but it's just funny to think about. Well, but then you got people like Mike Tyson, who he had a tiger. <sighs> now, and and from yeah. what I understand, it was inside the house. So, he's Mike Tyson. Case, so maybe the tiger was like, you know, <laughs> whoa, case. I should I should chill out. But who knows where he got that tiger? Too, <laughs> what, what medication it was on? Good point. Good point. Anyway, um, something that came to mind is like when you talk about pets you're always as the person in the relationship you're always referred to as the owner and it's Mm -hmm. a little weird to me like why is it why is it that we think of owning these other life forms probably just because they're they're lesser i guess life forms right technically and when someone says that's my dog like right what if the dog didn't do agree to it right what if the dog what if you have (laughs) two people and I, I think I've heard about this kind of thing happening with cats. Like, someone will have a cat, and mm-hmm. the cat will basically decide, this neighbor I kind of actually like better. <laughs> and then you yeah. kind of don't, and especially with cats, you kind of can't really do anything about that. Yeah, that true. Well, that's funny, because some of the other questions, actually these two came from, uh, came from Allie. She wants to know, which pets genuinely love you back? <laughs> That's a hard one to answer, but you kind That's of started to touch on it. And then what does communication look like between pets and like pets and each other? So like, let's say you had two cats in a house or a cat and a dog. And then also pet to human communication. Right. That's what she's interested in. But yeah, you're right. It's, it's weird because, you know, bringing a dog into your house just at a high level you have that sense of command companionship and gives people something to care for like you said uh nurturing for things is is in human nature for sure um and a dog would be upset if you were gone all of a sudden right i was gonna say attached to 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 answer ali's question directly i think you can say for sure that the modern dog does love humans back think at least it's expressed more evidently yeah because a cat it's weird like dogs can be upset if you go away i don't think the cat really cares i think i've started to notice be happy yeah i've started to notice um well that's not the right way to say it i think with the cats it's you just have to understand how they communicate which is so much different than how a dog communicates. And ultimately, in my opinion, it's more difficult to interpret what a cat is communicating than a dog. Mm -hmm. I think that's Mm going to be a big part of it. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, And I have something that could actually explain that a little bit um, that I'll get into in a little bit. We'll talk about dogs and cats specifically, um, just because it's being the most popular. Fish don't love you back, I think. (sighs) That's a weird one. (laughs) And I'm actually, yeah, you're going to think start thinking about fish because I'm okay. going to have you explain why. Um, okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, but, so just so we're clear on this topic, this is in contrast to, like, animals that you would have providing some sort of service or benefit in terms of, like, a farm animal, obviously food or, or some sort of resource or animals for transportation or clothing. So, you know... These animals are not for any of that. It's strictly for pleasure. I immediately went to chickens when you started saying mm-hmm. that, but then mm-hmm. I realized that, one, some people do bring their chickens in the house, which is just disgusting to well, me. But... <laughs> it's certainly a, there's a gray area here where it starts to bleed into, right. and I started taking some examples of that too. Okay. Um, 
of when it, yeah, it's just not so black and white. Also, real quick, I'm opening a can. Go for it. <laughs> I hope that was captured well. It's at least on my end, it sounded great. Nice, nice and crisp. Can of um, pomegranate seltzer. Okay, I finished off my coffee a minute ago. Nice, I had some before. I um, it wasn't too jittery. I, there was one podcast, real quick digression, there was one podcast we recorded. I had a cup of coffee leading into oh, it. There. Oh, man. I, I realized when we stopped recording, I was like, I hope people don't realize that I just talked at them for like 30 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember what episode it was at this point, but I remember yeah, thinking well, to myself, I got I to gotta be more careful with that next time. More specifically, there was I can think of a time where I went first and I had the coffee while I was going. And then the caffeine kind of really hit me after I was done talking. So I just kind of was like sitting there rocking back and forth listening. <laughs> I noticed too in mine, I was like, I'm pretty sure I talked over Alex like six times. Um, anyway. So so what makes a good pet for most people, would you guess? I mean, because there's obviously certain things that make a pet more desirable to some people than others. My, I instantly I went to, like, why do people keep cats? Mm -hmm. Because in a lot of ways, a cat provides literally nothing. Um, other than Kinda, it's cute, yeah. right? They're cute. And They're cute. I think there are definitely individual cats that do mm -hmm. build really strong relationships. And they're, mm -hmm. they're very vocal. I'm thinking about uh, our brother's cat. Um, you know, he's very sociable. So, so what about like on a, um, just like in terms of traits of an animal in general? Oh, goodness. All right. Cute is going to be one. Uh, yeah, so gotta like be cute. It needs to be an attractive looking animal, generally speaking. Generally. Yep. Um, oh, this is kind of hard. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I have a few written down, so, um, yeah, well, I, like I'm trying to like personality. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So like, uh, which isn't necessarily a requirement, but I think it's going to, that's going to be, you know, part of the reason why dogs and cats are more popular than, um, you know, let's say lizards, a mouse yeah, or lizards, you know, they have more of a identifiable personality. Right. That one dog, he's so crazy all the time. And mm -hmm. then the other dog, uh, he's super chill. And... Right. And it's something you can relate to. Right. Um, and alongside that is, uh, intelligence. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, people generally would like a pet that's smarter um and then so, I, I wrote down uh, social nature to the to the animal you know dogs want to be around people cats in their own right are social i think it falls um, into that category i was going to say something to the effect of like uh for dogs the whole satisfaction of like if you've got a really well-trained dog and the relationship is like super mm -hmm. uh well constructed i guess um, mm -hmm. You know, like I'm thinking about like a German Shepherd who like on command, you know, does whatever. And, you know, they also yeah. love that sort of they love the dogs themselves, at least appear to love the structure mm -hmm. and they like the, right. you know, the relationship. So the human gets this nurturing satisfaction out of it. And at that point, it, certain things, depending on what the dog does, uh, it's a utility as well. Mm -hmm. Well, and, and we can start talking about dogs, but one thing that's so interesting is that this relationship has been growing and changing for tens and thousands of years basically yeah, yeah. 
the human dog relationship. So there's really not a lot of exact answers on when this all started. Basically, the only thing that we know is that, for sure anyway, is that dogs were the first animals to be domesticated with the intent of being pets. You know, there could have been livestock animals and stuff for that purpose that were domesticated first. I don't really know, but, you know, dogs were definitely the first animals to be brought on with that intention yeah. of being a pet or a companion of some kind, right? Right. Um, and you do get, uh, especially in the, the older times, but I think still today, depending on your needs, uh, a dog is also a form of protection. So he's your buddy yeah, and also sure. goes to battle for you. Right, and that's part of you know why this might have started. Um, so what we really we know, the only thing we really know for sure, other than other than them being the first, is that all dog breeds today are you know a descendant of the wild wolf. Which is awesome. Um, but that's it. We don't. The guess is is that this started anywhere from ten to thirty thousand years ago, um, and it's unknown if it took place in Asia first, Middle East, Europe. Or, you know, there's even one theory where it happened totally at the Simul same time, but right. in two different, yeah, simultaneously, but one pillar in Asia and one pillar in Europe. Um, and it's, it's thought that I think that's more accepted. And then um, the majority of the DNA that's around in domesticated dogs today comes from that Eastern Asia DNA pool versus the uh, Western Europe DNA pool. So however that happened, I, I didn't get into that. Um, but somehow that Eastern, it may be just a population thing, um, kind of dominated. Right. Um, but yeah, so it's really not known if people, you know, which way this, which way the street went. So did, um, you know, people actively domesticate wolves or did the wolves domesticate themselves? That's really not known. Um, because you know from a human perspective you could you could bring the wolves in because they uh you know can assist with the hunting and stuff like that and then in the return the wolves get protection and maybe a constant supply of food yep that was um, a big one i think yeah so i think that's a that mutual relationship is there but it's not really known whether we sought them out or vice versa you know all of a sudden the wolves start kind of hanging around the fire a little bit right and and you know it just kind of develops over time i have to i have to guess there's a lot of factors here but i'm gonna i have to guess that at first i'm gonna guess the wolf made the first step because the balls on the guy that says yeah. i'm bringing that thing into the camp mm -hmm. you know well, the I did actually find something that is interesting, um, kind of conversely to that, would be that it's inherent to, in human nature, to just like be attracted to small furry animals. So snagging <laughs> wolf pups and bringing them into uh, okay your your tribe or whatever it is that we're talking about, your group of people. Um, so there's some sort of human nature to just be attracted to that type of thing, which. That part of it's not hard for me to believe. No. People love small, cute animals. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So um, then I would guess then maybe the, I would still say maybe the wolf took the first step to show a sign so. of like, I'm willing to be domesticated. And then the humans mm -hmm. turned around and said, oh, okay. And they okay. accelerated the process. Right. Yeah. I can see that. Because I still um, think it's quite insane for uh, like a, 
you know, a caveman or, or you know, an ancient person to be like, yeah, let's let's just go into this pack of wolves and. Well, even yeah, so that's what made me start thinking about the whole, you know, it was a rocky start type thing because whether it was them or us first, there's <laughs> think about it. There's dogs today. We had one that snap yep. and get a little temperamental. Think about trying to snuggle up with you know a twenty thousand year old wolf. Yeah, like a gray wolf. The you know the side. That's the other thing too is uh, somebody got bit. Somebody got bit, and one of the you know real wolves. They're huge. They're giant animals. <laughs> They're, They're giant animals, and uh, yeah. <laughs> one night you've got this wolf that is like only like one generation removed, and he just like murders you in your sleep or something. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, a chihuahua is much different than <laughs> the wolves that, you know, were, were domesticating themselves 20,000 years ago. Quick quick side thing, uh, mm-hmm. that, that Rick and Morty episode where the dog becomes intelligent and sees on TV <laughs> what he used. It is, it is insane that a chihuahua is related to the gray wolf. It's insane. Thousands and thousands of years. But, so this is actually a a good moment for this little fact that I found that I almost would say is one of the most interesting things about all this. Um, When you're comparing cats and dogs, dogs today, domesticated dogs, are way further removed in from a DNA perspective from their ancient wolf ancestry than cats are from their wild, you know, roots. So a domesticated cat is much closer to its original form in terms of, you know, its DNA and all that compared to like a chihuahua to a wolf. I think, um, I think there's a term, I think it's semi-domesticated. Cats are officially not fully domesticated. Yeah. And so your house cat can technically breed with a wild cat or a feral cat or whatever and oh, that man. happens um but like a you know a regular house domesticated dog's probably not going to breed successfully with a wolf yeah <laughs> you don't um, really get those weird you know half poodle half wolf mixes running around right <laughs> i'm also thinking like from another angle like a classification um you take your average house cat and throw it outside and do nothing mm-hmm. it's probably going to survive it's much more yes you're absolutely right you take a well, we'll keep picking on chihuahuas you take a <laughs> you take a really angry. small chihuahua you know maybe a couple of them will do okay but there are definitely a large number of dog breeds i feel like literally cannot survive without humans dude my neighbor's dog in south carolina was a chihuahua and it got scooped by an eagle <gasps> I remember you telling me about that <laughs> years ago now. Obviously, it just came back, but god damn. That's crazy. That's so insane. That's so insane. There's, a wolf's not going to get scooped up by an and, eagle. And, and it just, that was it, right, too? Like, it never... Yeah. And, well, the reason they know it happened is because that same bird in the neighborhood had taken a few chickens from somebody's yard. Okay. And they found, like, the carcasses or something. Oh, man. And this chihuahua, which was right next to me, was... They let it out all the time and just ran around the backyard. It was fenced in, whatever. Yeah, it was yeah. fine. Yeah. But yeah, one day, just I mean, it was obvious the dog didn't get out of the fence, but the dog was gone, and this the whole chicken thing had just happened, and it was pretty clear what happened to uh, the little dog. It, it was intense. It was a reality check, I think. 
<laughs> it's hard to. I mean, it's only. I'm only able to laugh because it wasn't my dog. Because it's yeah, sad. It's terrible. It's, it's also very hilarious. It's very sad, obviously. But. <laughs> um. So so it's crazy just how this relationship with with dogs has progressed, and you know, part of me thinks that that was like. De- I not necessarily believe in determinate or determinism, um, but it was you know something that could have been ingrained in human nature from the start, or even if it wasn't, and this just kind of randomly happened. It's such a long-lasting and you know developed relationship at this point that it's probably in our DNA now to just want a pet dog or like be attracted to that idea of having a pet dog or whatever just totally ingrained in us now totally i was gonna say it like that relationship seems so pure Mm -hmm. it does in a way seem like destined to happen like it's just destined to happen yeah yeah i could i agree i'm not necessarily a believer Mm in determinism and all those things but of all the things in the world the 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 human to dog relationship specifically cats are great Mm -hmm. too but yeah uh, it's just something nobody questions and it just like feels right. You right. Know? <laughs> right. Definitely. Um, and what's crazy about that is not only have we, um, you know, evolved to, to want that, but just the way dogs have evolved to, um, adapt to humans. I mean, they've gotten to the point where, you know, they're, it's understood that they can understand and recognize human facial expressions and body language and just, you know, they go hand in hand. Like, yep. Pretty, pretty all kinds of spooky stuff i remember there's some stories out there of like dogs being able to sense that their owners are sick before anybody else knew yeah and like there's yeah you've got mm-hmm. stories of like dogs like saving people's lives all kinds of stuff like mm-hmm. again to to your point earlier it seems it, it life without dogs seems crazy mm-hmm. i think i've talked about this before but and and if you've heard it we don't have to talk about it, but the the whole example where they it was a study they did with um, a wild wolf and a dog. Basically, they wanted to test if the animal would seek human help. And so I believe what they did is you know they had these animals in a cage or some sort of area, and then they put food into some sort of enclosure. The animal knew the food was in there and was allowed to attempt to get it, but you know it was either locked or whatever. They had trouble getting it. Um, and basically what ended up happening is the wolf just kept persisting, trying to get the food, trying to get the food, try, 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 couldn't do it, but just kept on trying. And there's humans around. I don't know exactly what the control situation was, but there's humans there. Right. And what the dog did was try a few times and then immediately turn for human assistance. Oh man. Yeah. I thought that was pretty, pretty cool. So it just shows to, you know, that dog is, uh inherently designed now to to look to help. us yeah. And, yeah 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 um so just some facts about dogs in terms of pets in the u.s um actually the global population of pet domesticated dogs is 171 million um wow that's way less than i was ready for i guess so there's so seven the billion popul- people in the world yeah, I'm pretty sure I'm reading that right. So the U.S. population is 77.5 million dogs, pet domesticated dogs. But what's interesting is um, 45.6% of U.S. households have a pet dog. 
and the average is 1.7 dogs per house. <laughs> so you said how many millions of dogs, and we have 75 million? We have like uh, almost 171 million. 171 million. So we have like 50% of all dogs. Isn't that, that right? Seems high, doesn't it? That has a global population. Not that I don't believe you, but I'm also yeah. uh, looking this up right now just to see if I can. Number of pets by species from statista.com. Okay, different source, so that'll be good. Uh, number in the U.S. Okay, so this is U.S. Mm-hmm. Dogs, they're saying 90 million dogs. Okay, so I mean, it's more than what I said, but it's in the ballpark. Yeah. I had 77.5 million. That was 2017, March 2017. Yeah, this actually, I think, was a little older, like 2013 is what the numbers okay. were from. Uh, yeah, roughly the same um, percentage in terms of you know number of households mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. and all that. Um, but that's not a global number. Okay, mm-hmm. but it seems like, yeah, wow, that's, that's a Yeah, lot. maybe be skeptical about the global number, but the, the U.S. number seems you can go by. So contrary to that, um, and we'll move on to cats and to get us there, um, the U.S. population of cats is higher at 93.6, according to my information. Um, so there are more cats, but less households have cats at only 38.2%, which means that um, more, more the average cats. well, the average cat per household is 2.45. So oh. less people are keeping cats, but you on average, have more, more cats, cats than dogs. <laughs> <laughs> I believe that's cat lady syndrome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's hilarious. That's crazy, though. 2.45. That means most people who are keeping cats don't have one. Yeah. Yeah. Alan, Which is true. Our, our brother two has walking two. around in this house. Yeah, Obviously, this house. that's a statistic of one, but, yeah. you know. I'm looking at... Um, um, yeah, so the domestication of cats is interesting. It it's not that much you know, it's it's I guess we have a, a tighter time frame of guessing between seventy five hundred and eight thousand years ago when they started to become at least semi domesticated and tamed and hanging around humans and whatnot. Right. right. Not gonna um, slit think... in the middle of the night. <laughs> Some cougar. Yeah, exactly. coming around the campsite. <laughs> That's the thing, like Cats that is such a even more fascinating how did this all happen with cats because you know everybody knows that even still today cats have that air of independence about them so mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. at a certain point somebody just had to have been like all right i guess i guess this is comfortable enough but well, there's yeah, still some I guess risk one of the theories yeah <laughs> is that it was more of like a toleration thing right right like okay there may be some benefits here but it's almost like we're just going to tolerate each other more than more than the the working relationship you have with the dog right um but yeah so i guess this this started first in like what they called the fertile crescent okay yeah which i know you do you know where that is yeah that's uh mesopotamia yeah it's like in uh i guess middle east the... it's uh the tigris and the euphrates river the space in that area uh you know the delta where the, those two rivers hook mm-hmm. up and and dump into the ocean um right. is Potentially like one a of the spawning place of ancient civilization yeah. is at the yeah, yeah exactly. Um, yeah. So like I said, there's some different theories, just like on dogs, on how this happened. You know, one of the theories is that people deliberately deliberately tamed them. You know, to uh, 
um, hunt predators like mice and rats and all that stuff. Um, This one, I feel like... Go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. Well, I guess the the counter to that is that cats don't generally react to commands from people, so it's not like you'd be like, go get that rat or whatever. Um, And then there's also other animals that are potentially better at doing that. Um, Yeah, I was going to say, there's a the whole breed of dog the rat terrier dog you know mm-hmm. they're insane at killing rats like yeah oh terriers God. even even ferrets yeah are allegedly better really um, i guess so but objectively at least i get or maybe not objectively in my opinion a cat i don't dislike ferrets but a cat is way cuter mm-hmm. than a ferret definitely and less smelly less smelly. <laughs> <laughs> yep um, ferrets are funny though. Have you ever seen them run through tubes? Yeah, no, they're they're they they're cute little animals. I like them, but yeah, um, mm-hmm. yeah for sure they're uh, different than a cat. You know, mm-hmm. I I almost wonder like when humans started moving into cities and then rat problems became a thing. I wonder if cats were like one of those types of moments where they're like, all right, we've got this animal problem, so let's introduce this other animal to try and do something about it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It's, and the cats it's just stuck weird. around, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it kind of feels that way. It just, I mean, think about the relationship you have with most house cats now. It's it's a toleration thing. To a certain extent. I, I d- mean, you bring them in intentionally, but still, it's like, it's just not the same as a dog. It's not. It's, it's expressed differently. But what I was saying earlier, the communication thing, I did do a little bit of, a long time ago, re- I read some stuff about how cats communicate and one of the things was the eye movement thing so if Mm -hmm. you look at a cat in the eyes and then you blink and look away the act of looking away and taking your eyes off of the cat Mm -hmm. is telling the cat i trust you enough that i don't have to keep my eyes on you the whole time right i'm not worried about you attacking me so i'm going to look the other way Mm -hmm. if the cat blinks and turns its head in response that's good so that's kind of a weird way to communicate, but it, once you figure are, out, yeah, I tried it on a, a couple lot of, of cats. Different ways to okay, what and it worked. Hmm. I was able to build a couple <laughs> of relationships with a couple of neighborhood cats by first starting out super soft and like not mm-hmm. you know being aggressive, and a couple of them, especially this one, it took a while, but eventually we were able to do this whole eye looking eye movement thing, and then the next step is to read their tails and what okay. their tails are doing um and you can you can kind of tell their moods but it's again it takes effort like a dog it's so clear whether mm-hmm. or not they're happy with you or whatever <laughs> right yeah for the, the most part the cat takes like I, you know you had to read about it and then mm-hmm. all this other stuff so yeah yeah there i mean there's a lot of things um you know all the different sounds the cat's making from purring to uh meowing and then the the fur on their back the arch of their back the, the tail movements like you were saying yep that whole rubbing thing they do on their leg which is i guess understood to be a social bonding thing yep but it's funny you say that about the eyes because i was reading about that today and um it was like look your cat in the eye but don't keep looking because right. an extended stare is turns from friendly to you're freaking me out real right. quick right right <laughs> Yeah, because if you don't take your eyes off, you're saying, I don't trust you at all. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. That's when the cat's eyes start to go real wide and it starts to get nervous. There's um, um, there's a theory 
that one of the reasons there's this there's that sort of uh at least i know it uh people who don't like cats cats seem to take to them so somebody goes over to somebody's house they don't normally like cats but they yeah. go over to their friend's house and all of a sudden the the cat takes a liking to this person that doesn't like the cat that's because one of the theories at least is because the signals and whatnot that the cat is perceiving from the person the cat is actually perceiving as he likes me but right, we right. so our our communication is fundamentally different basically they, yeah they don't want to be like coddled and right pestered and stuff so somebody ignoring them is actually comes off as a good thing. right right <laughs> they like to play hard to get <laughs> <laughs> i think that is an accurate description of a cat it's playing hard to get so so while we're talking about cats and their communication um with the purring, this is amazing to me that this relationship with cats and cats are so well understood as far as animals go. We still don't understand allegedly how they purr. Like the actual mechanism? Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. We're not totally sure. <laughs> because they don't have like a distinct little purr box inside that makes the sound. <laughs> They're just doing it somehow. <laughs> That's hilarious. Um and about the purring, most of the time it's a it's a good thing, but cats can definitely purr um, under stress for other reasons. But it's interesting they have uh, they did a study. I think it was even on it was on a wild cat like a leopard or something, and they they were taking readings of two distinct different purring frequencies based on um, I don't think it was necessarily the mood of the cat, but um, whatever situation the cat was in. Or, hmm. Okay. You know, it had two different frequencies based on right. Um, you know, what was going on with the cat, which I thought was interesting. Um, and speaking to their intelligence a little bit, you know, people always argue what's smarter, smarter cats or dogs, and it's way more complicated than that. But apparently cats can um, remember things up to 10 years, which hmm. I thought was pretty impressive. So, like, for instance, if you... Uh, one of the examples they used was its ability to remember and recall old environments that it was in so let's say a cat lives somewhere for a few years then you bring it to a new environment it's not that it's necessarily going to walk around in its new house thinking about the old house you know like reminiscing of the old days <laughs> but if you were to go take that cat and put it back in that old house a few years later it's most likely going to be able to recall everything about it right interesting um which is quite interesting there's um, stories too of like cats being gone for years and then just like showing back up at the home so they must yeah, be able. They yeah, must definitely. be able to remember stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. So what's what's really interesting is that. So cats are a little spotty on the whole learning thing compared to dogs. You know, you can teach dog commands and follow these cues and things like that. Cats aren't necessarily so good at that. Um, but one thing that is interesting with cats is they're, they have a, they appear based on the studies that have been done to have fully developed concepts of like object permanence. So like. Oh, man. They're looking at three objects. One of them goes away. They understand just because I can't see it doesn't actually necessarily mean it doesn't exist. That's got to be a hunting um, thing. Like the squirrel goes probably. behind the tree and the cat's like, I, I fucking know you're still there, squirrel. Right. Like think about when you hide behind a blanket. You see people on the internet now hiding behind blankets like to trick their dogs. Right, right. <laughs> that dog gets legitimately confused. Yeah. I don't think the cat's going to respond the same way. Probably not. And, it, and even mm-hmm. even more difficult is, even if it is going to react, the cat's probably not showing any sort of reaction. It's just going to keep right. like, yeah, whatever. 
Yeah, exactly. That's got to be part um, of our, our love for them, too, is, like, that whole... We, we must enjoy the whole hard-to-get thing, because, like, one of the big... At least when you're joking or whatever, like, people love to joke about how the fact that cats, like, in some ways don't give a shit, and I think we kind of mm-hmm. love it. Because you want them to give a shit, yeah. so you're perpetually churning. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they are the masters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so dogs, I think, you know... Are intelligent in their own right they just definitely oh, show it in a, in a way different way so being able to read body language human language they're exceptional at learning commands um, their social abilities are way higher um, and then this is harder to prove or at least it's not a you know you can't look at it as comparing directly to humans but they appear to show you know and display different complex human emotions so like jealousy and anticipation and you know, you know when your your dog you can see when it's guilty because you yelled at it for doing something like eating the toilet paper. Yeah, um, yummy. And so it's hard to say whether these are direct replications of the human versions of these, you know, emotions. Emotions, yeah. but it's at least comparable to how it's displayed. Right. Um, yeah. So um, let's see. I have an example of a study here. What did I write down? Um, I guess I'll just read this one. This was interesting. So similar dogs have, or dogs may be guided by cues indicating the direction of a human's attention. In one task, a reward was hidden under one of two buckets. The experimenter then indicated the location of the reward by tapping the bucket, pointing to the bucket, nodding at the bucket, or simply looking at the bucket. The dogs followed these signals, performing better than chimpanzees, wolves, and human infants at this task. Whoa. Even puppies with limited exposure to humans performed well. Holy shit. That's directly out of a study that I... I, I didn't read the study, but, you yeah, know, yeah. a little excerpt I found. Yeah. Um, so that just goes to show how ingrained that is in them now. Yeah, that's incredible. I mean, think about it. When you're playing with... You know, we used to play with Lily. You could point in a direction and... Yep. She, she was for the smart most part, enough understood to, what was going on there. And we were assholes because we would purposely point her in the wrong direction sometimes. Definitely. <laughs> she'd get Poor so dog. Yeah, she'd get so confused and start looking around. <laughs> but then you obviously you gotta you show the toy back and you give it Definitely. to her. You, know? you can't just let it end there. No. no but, be stressed out. Yeah, that's a good point. I remember figuring that out one day, at least uh, mm-hmm. maybe we all figured it out separately. But yeah, she definitely responded to, you know, go look over specifically that way. Yeah, yep. Um, let's see, how are we doing on our uh, time here? Yeah, hour and a half, so. I'm getting right, well, there. That's can, all right, this is a good one. We can this wrap is a good it conversation. Up. Yeah. Well, um, so some other things, uh, I guess we could just talk about some of the other, those are the two obvious ones, right? But as far as what people keep as pets, but believe it or not, it's actually been competing for second and it's now in third place, I think, as far as the numbers go. Uh, fish are third most popular uh, pet in the U.S. So, uh, but it's a begin- it drops severely. So, thirteen point three percent of um, no, excuse me, sorry, thirteen point three million households in that in the U.S. are keeping fish as pets, um, with a hundred and seventy one point seven million fish in the U.S. So the number you know same thing as cats like you don't have one fish yeah how do they collect these numbers sometimes you gotta wonder how do they know how many fish 
Dude, I feel like it's a plus or minus like 5%. Yeah, it's got to be huge. <laughs> so this one's, this one's weird because there's seemingly zero benefit on the surface. So I gave you time to think about it. So explain to the people yeah why you would want to keep fish yeah so i i kept fish and i don't have right i don't right now um but certainly someday i'd I'd like to again living in apartments limits you for a lot of different things um and having a fish tank even a small one is actually unfortunately super annoying if you have to move Mm -hmm. um so for me I got really into it as far as recreating, not necessarily specific, you can go to this level, but like, you know, I worked hard to recreate a natural type habitat for whatever fish I was keeping. So there was satisfaction in creating something that was beautiful to look at. And when it came down to the fish, if you could uh, recreate a habitat that was comfortable and and all those things all those good things you could see behaviors in the fish that they would do in the wild that they Mm -hmm. they weren't doing under stress so Mm -hmm. like mating or schooling together or other types Mm -hmm. of behavior you know there's a lot of satisfaction in um basically your ability to create a habitat that's good enough for them to feel happy and comfortable Mm -hmm. so the strive is to do all that and also, if you do natural plants and all those sorts of things, it, it becomes beautiful to look at. Right. So that's what it was for me. However, the this is this is personal opinion or, or whatever, but like, I I don't necessarily get the people that just put a betta fish in a bowl or basically don't take it to the level that I just described. Right. Yeah. Right. I understand. Because um, ultimately, the fish don't provide you anything other than right. the sort of the things that I just, in my pleasure. opinion, at least, what I just laid out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, there's a certain aspect of pet ownership where it's like a status thing, right? Where I yeah. can have it. Yeah. So, yeah, the the beta fish in a bull is a sad one, kind of. But yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. It almost starts becoming half hobby, half pet, right? Definitely, I would say pet. Yeah. I would say fish in particular are more mm-hmm. are much closer to a hobby in in a weird way because yeah, it's not like you're communicating with the fish or taking them out and petting them no i mean there are a couple so. fish out there certainly um they recognize when a human or that you know they associate mm-hmm. a human in front of the tank with food usually yeah. so they they yeah. do do that there are mm-hmm. a couple fish that actually have shown they enjoy being pet in a weird way um there's this mm-hmm. particular type of fish called an oscar that uh, does seem to develop a very basic relationship with, mm-hmm. but does the fish know exactly which human is petting it? Probably right. not. Right. Probably not. Probably yeah. not. So, yeah, fish. Um, fish is a weird yeah, one. Yeah, it's cool though. It is weird, but it's also it's making me want a fish tank again. Yeah, it's it's quite a satisfying thing. Mm-hmm. But for all those other things that we talked about, it's it's. It's definitely its own. It's definitely its own thing, and it's very much mm-hmm. well. I guess I would put reptiles and other things maybe in this similar category. Like, yeah, you got to get some kind of would... satisfaction out of it from mm-hmm. from keeping the thing alive. I guess, but it is a right. very strange. It's not at all like a cat or a dog. No. So I'd say, kind of quickly going down the, the list here of things other or other pets people keep. Um, in terms of going, I kind of had it ordered in terms of 
how close they are to cats or dogs, like that type of relationship. Mm-hmm. So, you know, people then keeping other small mammals like ferrets and gerbils. rodents, gerbils, hamsters, things like that. So then, you know, they're less relatable to humans, but you can still take them out of their little enclosure that you usually put them in and let them run around and play with them and, they're cute and have too. fun. They're cute, so they kind of satisfy some of those same things, but they're getting less and less, you know, they make less sense. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then um, I had birds listed next because birds are another weird one. You you can't replicate a bird's environment in your house, so that, that part of it's out like a fish tank. However, they are smart, and you can develop a relationship with a bird, no doubt. Yep. Um, but that's a that's a real word, weird one, just because of the the flying thing. But yeah, you you, I just don't think a bird should be in a house. <laughs> yeah. You could, uh, if we're playing, dev, you know, being fair here, you could make a similar uh, argument for a fish tank. Like, why are you putting yeah. this fish into a tank? Yeah, but when you replicate it at a scale that like you were describing, yep. and you do it in an appropriate way, I think those fish probably have a pretty goddamn good life. I would say so. <laughs> Definitely, it can get weird. There are absolutely people who put fish that are way too big into way too small of a tank, and that's I would put Definitely. that in the same Definitely. space as like putting a mm-hmm. bird in a cage. Well, there's also people who have dogs that lock them up for 10 hours a day while yep. they're at work, and yep. you know that's controversial too. Yep. Uh, um, and the last one I had on my, my list was, uh, well, sort of last, as far as the domesticated animals go, um, some of those more reptile animals like turtles and lizards yeah. and snakes, those are starting to get even real weird because not only can you not really have a relationship necessarily with the animals, you don't take a snake out too often to pet it. Uh, you just really got to enjoy looking at it, I yeah. guess, to, yeah. to want to keep one of <laughs> Yeah, and that one too, you know, those ones... Uh, if you can if you can get to the level you're going to need more space but if you can get to the level of creating a semi-natural habitat i, I could absolutely see the the satisfaction there you know yeah, if, if you're able yeah. to create an awesome terrarium mm-hmm. for the turtle or the lizard or whatever sure sure you know yeah um and the bird one i was thinking about that like there's a lot of different types of birds i, I know someone with a um uh i forget it's a type of parrot i forget exactly but it's one of the ones that can speak and it's quite intelligent Mm-hmm. And it does have a cage, but they let it out um, to roam the house, essentially. So in that sense, it it, it appears quite happy. Like, mm-hmm. you know, and they it, they definitely have a relationship with it. And it, I guess it doesn't feel the need to fly. Um, Maybe. And then, total other random... I was fishing one day in this park, and this guy walks by me, and I did like a million take... Because he had what I then later found out was an incredibly expensive African parrot just on his shoulder. And he was just walking around the park. It was a gray... Um, let me see if I can find this thing real quick. See, that's a, that takes a real special individual. Yeah, so I think it's just called the gray parrot. Um, the mm-hmm. Congo gray parrot or African gray yeah, parrot. Yeah, they're super smart. They're crazy right. smart. And this particular one is a gray parrot with a bright red tail. They're incredibly hmm. expensive. So I told cool. this person that I know about this, and they were like, that. Like tens that, of thousands of dollars. Yeah, they something. were like, that guy is, was bold for so many different reasons, just walking mm-hmm. around with that parrot because yeah. it was a many thousand dollar thing. And apparently they lived for 40 to 60 years in captivity. So damn. damn. That's, a, that's a lifelong commitment there. That is. So where it gets 
really weird is when people, like you said, like Mike Tyson, keeping wild animals. That's purely a status thing. For yeah, me, it's got to be. I would think, like, yeah, Keep I keeping a tiger. Up. Yeah, I got a leopard in the closet. Yeah. You want to see it? Don't do that. Um, so I think worth mentioning here to finish up um, is just kind of like the, the actual health benefits that are associated with this, which I didn't really think about before. Um, but just, like, there's proven health benefits for people having um, pets, so... Uh, one thing I wrote down, I mean, obviously you can have a positive impact on your mood and your health and your kid's health and everything if you have like a, a good dog in the house, that type of thing. Um, but to put some numbers to it, so in a study in 1986, it says 92 people hospitalized for um, various ailments, whatever it was, it says uh, coronary ail- ailments. I'm not sure Probably. what would be classified under that. Okay. Um, it's got to be hard stuff. So, yeah, a little bit of grain of salt because, you know, their ailments could be varying. Yeah, but sure. anyway, it says, within a, within a year, 11 of the 29 patients without pets had died compared to only three of the 52 patients who had pets um, that had died. So Interesting. there's a lot there that could affect that, no doubt. Yeah. Um, but it, it is still interesting. Um, and then it says having pets was shown to significantly reduce triglycerides and thus heart disease risk in the elderly. So there's been some correlation to elderly people so being better off by having pets. It's got to be so stress is like this thing that we're not largely not able to really mm-hmm. quantify, but we know it's a thing and we know it has negative impacts. You got to imagine that just the the stress relief that petting a dog or a cat provides yeah. just Although we maybe can't tangibly track it mm-hmm. specifically, it's gotta it's gotta have that effect. Well, and going back to what we were talking about by earlier about how long this relationship's been been in the making, you know, I would I don't find it hard to believe that some of these things are true because Absolutely. we've become so ingrained with these animals over time that it's more of a need than a than a want right. at this point. The relationship wouldn't be the way it is without mm-hmm. some significant benefits for all involved. Right. Um, and it starts to kind of start blurring the line a little bit um, between pet and service when you start talking about um, like emotional support animals, mm-hmm. things like that, where the dog or the animal, whatever it is, is providing a service. But I'd imagine most of those people with those animals would tell you that they're as much of a, you know, a Partner, friend to them yeah. as, as any other pet is to its owner. Um, but they're also providing them with a necessary service. That reminds and me. And same of... goes for. Uh, guide dogs and you know people with vision impairments those dogs are helping them but i'm sure they're also best friends yep (laughs) it reminds me of like you see a service dog and it says do not pet and it just drives people nuts because all of our all of our intuition is i want to pet that dog yeah and if it doesn't say do not pet ask yeah definitely ask always ask Mm -hmm. they're so damn cute i'll leave you with this because oops just unplug my headphones technical difficulties okay i'm recording again (laughs) all right so go ahead repeat what um the statistics yeah so the statistics i was reading that nobody nobody got um pets outnumbered kids in the u.s (laughs) that i reacted yeah you reacted so this would be funny uh they outnumbered kids in the u.s four to one that was in 2013 uh the average cost to maintain a medium a small to medium-sized dog is anywhere from seventy-two hundred to about twelve thousand five hundred dollars, and then an, right. a, a regular indoor cat 
total cost in its lifetime about 8600 to 11300 or so. I didn't have a number in my head at first, but I guess that's less than I thought. It's actually not too bad, if you think about it. It's not going to seem too bad, right? I think the average number for a kid these days is somewhere above like 200 grand to go from 0 to 18 nice. you years could, old. You could, you could house many dogs for that. Right? <laughs> All right. Well, I think uh, pretty much does it. Okay. All right. We'll uh, check out um, the website. You can reach us at uh, wanderingberrycenter at gmail.com. Instagram, Twitter, uh, Amazon's got our t-shirts. 